today we're continuing our series we've just called um, This Changes Everything. But uh, before we get there, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to just show you a picture uh, that you probably recognize uh, if you've been in Alabama. Anybody recognize that picture? Yeah? So let, I just have to give a little context for those of you online who are watching outside of our area. Um, and, and we do have people who watch from different states and different countries even. So if you've never been through Alabama, you might not recognize this beloved treasure. But this has been um, along Interstate 65 for as long as I can remember. Uh, and it sends a message. And you can see it's got a really scary devil with some kind of... I'm not up on my farm equipment, so it's some kind of sickle or harvesting hook or I don't know what that is. but Or maybe just slaughter tool. I don't know what that is. But anyway... The message is, go to church or the devil is going to get you. So I just want you, first off, all to know you're safe because you're here, right? Online, I think so. No, no, you're safe too. But the message is, um, if, you'll, if you'll go to church, then you will live the overcoming life that God intends for you to have. And at the same time, you will defeat every plan that the enemy has to bring havoc into your life if you'll just do one thing, and, and that's to go to church. So I just want to say that's a way oversimplification of a lot more complex issue. Um, it's kind of like, you know, playing hopscotch against a chess grandmaster. You know what I'm saying? It's not that, it's not that one-dimensional. It's not that simplified let me give you a little bit different picture um, that might help us in this conversation today. So when I was a, um, a child, a young, young child and young adolescent teenager, I was raised in an atmosphere and a culture of fear. I, uh, we, uh, in our family, we were lower income and always afraid, always afraid that, you know, the house is going to burn down when we're gone or afraid that people are going to break in and take everything we had or or hurt us, or afraid the economy was going to go bad, or one of my parents was going to lose their job, and you know everything we have is going to be taken from us. We're not going to have anything. And uh, so, being raised in that atmosphere of of fear and and panic or paranoia or anxiety, whatever you want to call it, it did a lot of it did a lot of harm to me. It did a lot of damage to me. And so, as a young person, I was very uh, I was very shy. I was very introverted. I never wanted to be, you know, in front of people, never wanted to be the center of attention, never wanted to um, lead anything. I was a follower. I would just kind of follow along with, with the crowd, just trying, you know, nervously not to be recognized for anything, just wanted to, you know, flow, go with the flow. And about, when I was about 15 years old, some friends at my school reached out to me and invited me to their church, and I started to go to church with them. And several months later, I, I uh, gave my life and my heart to Jesus. And a few months after that, as I began to walk in this new life and new relationship with Jesus, desires started to well up in me I'd never had. I had desires to share with other people about God. I had desires to, to, to lead. I had desires to do things that I had never felt before, and I didn't really know what to do with them. But as I continued to follow God, I, at 16 years old, I preached... Uh, I preached a sermon at my home church. Now, let me tell you why that's a, that's a big deal, my childhood church. Because if you look at all the surveys that have been taken, 
Uh, people, the only thing people fear more than death is public speaking. <laughs> so you take a person like me who was, you know, dr- drowned in, in fear and paranoia and all of that, and then you say, I, I know the greatest fear to humanity is to speak in front of people. Why don't you do that? Do you see how far away that is? That's a long way away. Well, uh, I went to a Christian school. I was the first student in our school's history to preach in chapel. And so as the years went by, the months went by, God began to do many other breakthroughs and changes and all of this in my life. But there was one thing that I learned during that time that I want to bring to your attention today. Uh, Satan tried to cripple me at the point of God's calling on my life. Satan tried to cripple me at the point of God's calling, and this is what he'll do with you. Satan will attack you at the point of your God-given purpose. Let me just explain it. I had been called by God to lead, to preach, and to teach. And so where did the enemy hit me? In fear and anxiety and panic, and all I could describe is fits of paranoia. Just, Just tried to cripple my life And had I continued on the road I was on, I would have never found God's purpose for my life. I would have never found it. But God did a miracle in my life and helped me. Now that brings us to to this series. This changes everything. We've talked about how God became a man. We talked about how God's power lives in us, in me. And now here's the thought I want to give you today. God has given me authority over darkness. So we're talking about truths that change everything. This is a truth that changed everything in my life. God has given me, God has given you, God's given us authority over darkness. Now, I I do want to, look, there there are conferences and books and volumes of books written on this topic, and there's no way we can cover everything. What I do want to try to do before we get into the actual meat of the messages, I want to try to frame the conversation in a way that will help us um, find a a good spot to land, okay? So um, 25 or 30 years ago when I became a Christian and learned about Christianity and all this, I I would only describe, I don't know if this is the right term, but I would describe it as the spiritual warfare movement. I don't know if that's a real thing, but um, spiritual warfare conversation was, was a hot topic, and it seemed like everybody was talking about it. And here's, here's kind of the prevailing thoughts at the time that I moved into Christianity and Pentecostalism and all of that, is that there was, there was a, a demonic influence behind everything bad. That was sort of the prevailing thought. And if we could just get the demonic influences out from behind, driving everything that was bad then this utopian world would emerge and everything would be good. <laughs> you know, so, so there was, a, there was a, you know, a demon connected or a dark force connected to everything. In its worst form, that teaching would say there was a demonic force behind everything that was inconvenient or uncomfortable to me. <laughs> you could see how, surely you could see how that could just be a selfish thing, right? So um, when I was in college, I don't remember if, uh, I, don't, I don't know if this is true or not, but it was the story that circulated in the middle of the spiritual warfare movement when I was in college. There was uh, somebody who supposedly had a dark influence in their life, and they had an unnatural addiction to chocolate. And I thought, well, that's, you know, 
most of us, right? I'm concerned about the ones who don't like chocolate more, if I'm being honest. But, but as the story went that sort of circulated through the dorm there at the school, it was that there was a confrontation with this dark force, and when the person was relieved, it, said, it, it came out and said, I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Well, you, you see, you, you could see how the thing had gone a little too far, right? And, and one of the limitations or the parts of uh, the movement, the, the, one of the truths that this movement tended to overlook was that in our own humanity and brokenness, we have the potential to do harm and evil without Satan's help. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's always the way it is. I'm just saying that we are fully capable as broken humans in a fallen world to do things that hurt people. And, and we don't even need Satan's intervention sometimes. We could just capable of it, you know, all, all on our own. I think we're mostly better off, just from my humble vantage point, I think we're mostly better off that that movement has cooled off. But I don't think that we're entirely better off. And let me explain that. Because the opposite... Like over-focusing on all of these things, in a sense, gives darkness an advantage. Because when you're focused on all this, you're not focused on Jesus. On the other hand, to walk in naivety and ignorance also sets you up for a particular kind of defeat. All right? So I want to just try to frame it that way today. It's a mistake to underestimate the sheer, brutal, cutthroat nature of darkness. Darkness preys on children and the vulnerable and the weak and the naive and the ignorant. And darkness will kick you when you're down. And darkness will wait till the exact worst moment for you when the most pain can be produced and attack them. So we, we ought not to be naive or uninformed that there are forces of darkness that work. Now, you may say, I've never seen the influence of darkness in my life. I just want to say that doesn't mean it's not there. There's a lot of things I've never seen that are real. But it doesn't mean it's not there. I've never seen the air. But the air's there. I see the trees bend when the wind blows. You may have never seen that impact, but maybe what was missing was the discernment to know what was going on. So there are some struggles that exist, as I said, because we live in a fallen world. And in a fallen world, things break, right? They just break on their own. Uh, some of those things need medicine. Some of them need counseling. Some of them need therapy. Some of them need treatment. Some of them need proper diagnosis. Some of them need natural forms of treatment. And I'm, some of them need solutions like that. And I'm, I'm for all of that. But there are also some of those things that need the authority of God exercised against them because they've come to enact harm and damage. And what you don't want to do is try to um, solve a spiritual problem with a natural resource or try to solve a natural problem with a spiritual resource. And so you may say, well, gosh, that's complicated. Yes, it's more than go to church or the devil will get you. It is complicated. And, and so you say, well, how do I know? Discernment. That's why, that's why we need discernment. 
We need it as believers. We need it as families. We need it as churches and pastors and leaders. We need discernment. So how, how, do, you, how do you win this battle? Okay? How do we, on an individual level, on a family level, on a community level, on a corporate level, how do we win this battle against darkness? Number one, let me give you three ways today, now that we've kind of framed it. One, recognize the battle's real. You know, um, sometimes we as Christians believe that the Christian life is like living on a cruise ship, when really it's like living on a battleship. And if you get those two backwards, you're going to miss a lot of what's happening in the Christian life, and you're going to live in a special form of, of a naive defeat. And so we might be out on the sun deck playing with the Hawaiian-shaped ice machine, and the enemy's down in the boiler room setting bombs. You see? And if you don't know what's going on, he, he, he's just, you're walking right into a trap. You're walking right into a problem. So from the beginning of time, when the first humans were created, Adam and Eve, the enemy comes in in the form of a snake to deceive them. And if you look all through Scripture, all the way to the book of Revelation, to the end, we see the enemy still active at the end of time, wrecking havoc on the world. So there's nothing in Scripture that gives us an indication that there'll be a time that the forces of darkness aren't active in this world. John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus speaking. Uh, here's how he described it. Now, there's some context to this we won't take time to explain. What I, what I want you to do, rather than uh, focus on who Jesus is addressing, what I want you to rather to do is pull from these scriptures what we can learn from Jesus about who the enemy is. Okay? He says, you belong to your father. He's talking to this group of people, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. What does this tell us? There's a lot of things there we can learn. One is Satan has children. Now, I don't mean that in the procreative sense. I mean that Satan has people who have aligned themselves to him knowingly and unknowingly because they are following his philosophy, his thinking, and his way of life. And furthermore, we learn here that there's no truth in him. And we learn that his native language is lying. So if he's talking, he's lying. Some people speak English. Some people speak Spanish. Some people speak Chinese. Satan speaks lie. That's his native language. That's the language that he talks in. And, and we can say it like this, he's the father of lies, so most of the lies that we believe, if not all of them, we get from him. He's the father, he's the procreator of lies. Pretty, pretty, pretty bad guy. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's constantly on the roam. He doesn't sleep, he doesn't rest, he doesn't break, he doesn't Sabbath, he doesn't go on vacation. He's constantly looking for people to destroy. This, this is a little more than a, a red man in a cape with a sickle. This is vicious. Ephesians chapter 6, which is where we'll spend our time today, says this. 
Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, we don't fight the battle that we're in with violence. We don't, it's not, and, and, our, and our adversary is not a person. But against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So I just want to bring you some biblical evidence and proof and truth that the battle's real. It is real. Number two, so how do we win? Use the powerful weapons that God has given. God has not left you and I defenseless. He's not left us vulnerable. He's left us with everything that we need to live a godly and overcoming life. And so where we learn about that is further in Ephesians 6 verse 11. Here's some of the weaponry that God has given us. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Let's talk about that for a minute. Put on the full armor of God before we get to the armor so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. What does that mean? The devil is a deceiver and he's going to attack you in a tricky way and he's going to attack you in the way that's most effective to take you down. Might not work with somebody else. But he's going to look for the most effective way. So uh, sometimes when you have this conversation, there's there's a... growing antagonistic um, line of thought against Christianity and, and some of the truths of Christianity that seek to undermine it through intellectualism. So sometimes what you get in a conversation like this or a question that you, you or I might have is, well, why is it that in other countries of the world, some of the third world countries, some of the you know, countries that are less Christian and darker, why do they seem to have different expressions of, of darkness that we don't see in the Western world. Why, why is that? And, and we've reached some conclusions. Wouldn't you think if Satan is, I think we've sometimes reached some wrong conclusions, wouldn't you think that if the devil is as deceptive and vicious as we say he is, wouldn't it make sense that he would adjust his strategy country by country and group by group and family by family to do the most damage there? So the fact that Satan's work doesn't look the same everywhere in the world doesn't make it fake, it makes it more real. Because he's, he's not one-dimensional. He's not just go to church and you'll be fine. It's more than that. So if you look at an impoverished country or culture with brokenness, maybe the best strategy there is a head-on, head-on collision, head-on intimidation, a campaign of full outright confrontation to just keep people broken and in fear. But in our culture, maybe one of the ways to attack here is to inflate intellectual ego and to spread lies that we're sophisticated and we're educated and we have evolved and we have better explanations for these things than people used to when they were less educated and more ignorant and in unfortunate parts of the world. We have better explanations now. There's no boogeyman. And you know what that does? That takes our attention off of the potential work of darkness in our lives and in our community. And it says, well, if there's no boogeyman, then we'll do whatever we want. And what it does is it frees him to work undetected. 
So what he does is he comes in at a campaign where he attacks the mind. And he's, and he's free to destroy people's mental health and cause division and separate people and chemical addiction and bondages increase. Why? Because there's no boogeyman. We, we, we outgrown that. Klein Snodgrass, very interesting name there, said something profound. Evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. Evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes his goal. But I got good news. God has given us weapons to overcome every influence of the enemy in our lives, in our community, in our church. And it's found in Ephesians 6 again, 13 through 17. There's six weapons we find there. I'm not saying these are all of them, but I'm saying here's six very important ones. And let's look at it together. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when... It doesn't say if, does it? So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Did you catch that in that song we sang earlier today? On this rock, I stand. Did you hear when Justin was up here leading, he was talking about my house is built on the rock and my house stands? That, man, that, we're singing it today. Stand firm then with the belt of truth. That's one, one weapon. Around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness, that's two. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, that's three. In addition to all this, take the shield of faith, that's four. So you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, that's the fifth one. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We honestly would benefit greatly if we did an entire series on this armor. It's rich and deep and there's no way we can go into that depth today. What I do want to do is introduce it to you and show you where to find it. I'm so grateful when I was a young person that I grew up in a church that believed in, and taught spiritual warfare. I'm grateful for that because it helped me immensely. As I've already described, I came from pretty profound brokenness. And about a year into my uh, salvation journey with Jesus, maybe a little longer, this, this scripture was introduced to me that there's this full armor of God that you can take on that you don't have to live subjected and defeated by every battle of life that there are some that the enemy's trying to cripple you he's trying to hinder you he's trying to prevent you from being everything God called you to be and from doing everything God wants you to do and you don't have to live underneath that I didn't know that and so when this came this scripture came into my understanding I, 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 I didn't know what to do with it. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wake up every morning, and I'm going to put on the armor of God. Now, it's not about the imagery. It's about the reality. So what I would do, I'm 16 years old probably, and for a year to maybe 18 months, every day when I'd wake up, I'd say, God, today I put on the belt of truth. You know, the Word says, if you hold to the truth, the truth will set you free. And so I said, God, I hold to the truth today, and I pray that you'd let that truth hold to me. And I want to learn everything you're teaching me. And Lord, today I take on the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ that has been given through the death and resurrection of your Son. I hide behind it today, and I shield and cover myself with it. 
And today, Lord, I prepare my feet with the gospel of peace. And I pray that you would make me ready, prepare me today for anyone I come across who would be open to a conversation about the gospel that has been preached and sent to bring to put people in peace with God. And Lord, today I take the shield of faith. And I pray today that you would strengthen my faith and help me to believe you and to take you at your word so that the the fiery darts of the enemy, when he shoots them at me, they'll do no good. They'll make no impact because I believe you. And Lord, today I take the helmet of salvation. God, protect my mind. (laughs) Cover my mind. Cover my thought life. And don't allow the lies of the enemy and the lies from my own flesh to rewire my brain and get me to lose hope in your salvation and this life and the life to come. And then, Lord, I pray as I take the sword of the Spirit that you would allow the power of the Holy Spirit to enliven the Word of God in my soul so that I could speak it to myself and I could speak it to those around me. You don't think starting a day like that might change the day? I did it. And, it, and as Pastor Mark shared at the beginning of this series, it's like Romans 12, and to be transformed from within by a new way of thinking. And that thinking prepared me and equipped me and put the armor on and set me in the right mind frame and allowed me to draw from those truths and help me to acquire victory over a lot of the things that were happening in my life. So... Um, as, as we, um, as I give you this last point, I want you to leave with this thought that God has powerful weapons and he's given them to you, but you have to use them. And it might not, you might not use them the way that I did in a prayer that starts the day. You can draw from all six of those in different ways and, you know, do devotions on them, studies on them, pray with other people. There's a lot of ways. But as you draw from those weapons and apply those weapons to your life, you'll walk in victory. Here's the last thought. Understand the stakes could not be higher. So we could talk this morning, you know, about um, the damage that darkness does in marriage or in families or in individuals or in generations or in cult. There's so many things we could talk about. What I want to do is I want to draw one example on how high the stakes are from the area of outreach, okay? Outreach is spiritual warfare. It's a form of spiritual warfare. Let me tell you why. If there are people that are under, um, under Satan's influence or under Satan's way of thinking, he's just not going to give them up without a fight. He's not just going to say, oh, well, you know, uh, they went to church, so I can't get them now. He's not just going to release people to the kingdom of God with no fight, with no battle. And so here's what we learn in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this age, that's a phrase that means Satan. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So here's what the good news is. The good news is that Jesus died. He came back from the dead. He was resurrected. And that that sacrificial death and resurrection has provided a, a way for you and I to become a new creation 
and to live a newly created life both in this life and to be in eternity with God in heaven. That's the good news. That's the best news that's ever been pronounced in world history. And when that news is shared and people don't respond, something is wrong. Because it's the best news. There's not better news. There'll never be better news. So what is wrong? It doesn't mean that everybody's ever going to respond. But when people don't respond to that, something's wrong. And 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us the God of this age has blinded the eyes. So what do we got to do? We've got to do spiritual warfare over that blindness. We've got to take those weapons that God has given us. We've got to take authority over that darkness. We've got to pull those blinders. You know why? Because unsaved people can't do spiritual warfare for themselves. So, so if, if they can't do it, who's going to do it? We have to do it. So, Easter's coming. Resurrection Sunday. My goodness. The day we celebrate the greatest news the world's ever known. And what we're going to be doing between now and then, you're going to hear from us soon through our life groups, we're going to be building a prayer list of people who aren't following Jesus. You know why? We don't want to just share the good news. We want to rip the blinders off first, then share the good news. And so we've got to pray. We've got to intercede. It's got to start with prayer. So we're going to build a prayer list of people, and we're going to be interceding over them and praying against the, the lies and the distraction of the enemy over their life between now. And what will happen is we're going to be asking you to take the people we're praying for, that you're praying for with us, and invite them to Easter service, and we're going to share the gospel. And when we do, people are going to find salvation and healing and freedom in Jesus because the blinders have been taken off first. Right? So, the question that you have to answer is, do you believe the kingdom of God is a cruise ship or a battleship? Do you believe the kingdom of God is a cruise ship or a battleship? Because we certainly have been given by God the commission to take the good news to the whole world. And there's no other group on earth that carries that mission. If we don't do it, it won't be done. So I'm, I'm encouraging you, I'm challenging you this season, this is the season. Let's go for it. And you, the joy, let me just tell you, the joy when somebody that you know comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And when the day comes when we can take them to the foyer and baptize them in water and watch them walk in a new life as I did when I was 16 was broken and hurt and lost and confused and empty and void in my soul and empty and when God came into my life listen it changed everything I'm not kidding you it changed everything everything in my life I want to leave you with one other thought of good news okay from Romans chapter 8 Verse 37. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I'm convinced, listen, that this isn't about darkness, this is about everything. I'm convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a good word of truth. So, I want to say it to you like this. The devil's greatest goal is to separate us from the love of God. That's what he wants. He can't hurt God, so all he can do is hurt what God loves. And that's you. And he wants to separate you either by convincing you that God doesn't love you, or that God's not real, or some other thing, or just to keep you away from him. But Romans says that God, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and a whole lot of other things, has given us victory. Has given us victory. That nothing will separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. We have to, we have to receive that and walk in. Would you stand with me this morning? I really believe... The Holy Spirit is here to do powerful work this morning. And if, if you're online, our prayer team is there, and they're, they're ready right now. They've been praying for you throughout this morning. Even before service started, they were praying for you. And if you, if you need prayer, I want you to reach out right now and let a prayer team member meet you there. But for all of us, would you just close your eyes for a minute and let's, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the Word of God, and I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you for Jesus Christ, His life, death, and resurrection. I thank you today, Lord, that we need not walk in fear. We need not walk in defeat. We need, we need not walk in, a, in an overwhelmed life, because you have overwhelmed all the things that can overwhelm us. You have demolished them. You have defeated them. And Lord, today I thank you for the grace and the power the strength of God as we, as we move through this song Lord I pray your spirit would continue to prepare and to prepare us to meet you in the exact way we need to meet you today